welcome everybody, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, episode 1000 with Rich Klein, my favorite and most frequent guest or co-host. First, I want to thank my sponsors. Actually, first, I want to thank my wife, <laughs> who's been a, a great support and uh, encourager through this whole situation. But then I want to thank Rich and all the other guests and all the listeners. But I do want to thank sponsors too. I probably would do it without sponsors, but it's really been fun to do it with sponsors and to be able to gently tout some of the good guys in the industry, which includes Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hug the Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Welcome, Rich. I think we're going to be looking backward mainly, but we might be looking forward to after a thousand episodes of which I don't know if you were on a hundred of them, but you were on a bunch of them. And those were some of my absolute favorites, but I've liked them all. So what's your take on a thousand? I'd thrown it out there in the beginning that maybe I'd do a thousand and here we are. You made it. One of your original goals was you wanted to talk about players in the hall of fame. And every once in a while, we'll do an episode, a tribute episode or an episode on players. But a lot of the stories are the same. I'm glad you didn't end up going that way. There's enough good stories out there on the hobby and enough good people out there on the hobby that just doing that would have been repetitive and dull, actually. I think you and I can do it in a unique way. And yet some of that's been done. We bring up obviously distinct hobby focus to it rather than just the stats of the on the field performance, but that wasn't bad. It's just that my original contemplation, I thought we'd be doing a lot more of that. And I'm glad we did it because as one of my mentors in this business, Frank Barning, once told me, everybody in the hobby has one article on them. And this is the 1980s when the printed word was the way. Now everybody's got, I'll call it at least one podcast in them. Yeah. Everybody's got a story. Sometimes it's the same, but there's always that divergence of differences that makes every story a little bit unique. That's one of the great things you've been able to do. You've had a lot of unique people on your show in these years. Yeah, that's been a lot of fun for me. Now I've had a lot of old friends like you, but I've made some new friends and that's been fascinating. I'm not trying real hard to dig out people. They just come out of the woodwork or I'm aware of them. And everybody's been really kind to do that. When I started, I thought everything was going to be in-person interviews, that I'd be going around with a tape recorder at shows. And when COVID hit, I just realized there's this thing called Zoom, where I could be face-to-face with somebody without having to go to shows, which frankly, during COVID, the shows were mostly shut down. I really didn't want to have a regional bias that this was a Dallas podcast, and you had to come through Dallas to be on the podcast, or maybe you'd catch them at the national. So Zoom really opened up and broaden the reach and the fun for us, I think, too, because some of those Zoom calls, you were on them with me and others. The pandemic turned out to be a blessing. You got so many people. I know I would recruit a few people, and you did a lot as well. I'm proud of some of the people I've gotten for you, like the gentleman who wrote the book on those Panini stickers from England. I think we're providing a platform, and we're trying to give people a broad view of this fabulous hobby. It's much bigger than even you and I can comprehend in terms of the number of people, the number of sets, the cards, the players, the sports, all that stuff. So not being linear, just getting to it and providing in a 15 minutes or less without a lot of cut in ads. And I just kindly mentioned the sponsors don't have a lot of music to get in and get out to where you're going to get if it's 15 minutes, you're going to get 14 and a half minutes of content. And 
You're great about that, Rich. You get in, you make your points, and you're this great storyteller that can do it succinctly. That's a real skill. I did not learn that from Casey Stengel, who could go for an hour. I tried to learn from Mickey Mantle and his great comment after Casey Stengel appeared in Congress. Casey went on this long five-minute journey about his life. Then they asked Mr. Mantle, what do you think? My views are about the same as Casey's. Any things you think I should have done differently or better or that surprised? I think the best thing you did was the 15 minutes. Matter of fact, I'll talk to people and they all tell me now, we love the 15-minute concept because my commute is 15 minutes and I can listen on my way to work. Now that the school year is beginning, I can listen while getting Dina off to work. Then I don't have to worry about having to find time for it during the day. It's completed at 7.15 in the morning. That's totally my awesome wife, Diane. But what happens to those who have 20-minute commutes, Rich? (laughs) They can hunt the horn for the last five minutes. Listen to music for the last five minutes or start another one. Yeah, that's been great. My favorite episodes, like you said, I think were not the players or the sets or the box breaks. They were more the tributes. And you were involved in some of those. And some of these guys that we've lost in the hobby, it seems like whenever we're doing a tribute, it's somebody that died prematurely, at least in our eyes. To shed light on the contributions of those hobby icons has been really gratifying. When we do those tributes or when we talk about people, one of the things I always stress, and I got this from listening to you talk about your father at the memorial service for him. How good of a life did you lead? We always want to talk about the people who led a good life. And reading the background about your father and listening to you speak, and where did you get that sense of humor from during the thing? We were roaring in the aisles with what you were saying during the memorial service. Rich, that is so inappropriate. It's at a funeral. There's no laughing. I was not trying to be funny. So... (laughs) But anyway, my dad lived a great life. You're right. In fact, he lived a great life. And I wasn't being inappropriate. I've seen several people this year. Uh, They've talked about the funerals and they said, come in T-shirts and please don't cry and please have a good time. And in all seriousness, one of the things I really learned was your father and your mother, they believed in reclamation projects. Yeah. Second chances. Second chances. You were always very good about that. Is that the strongest trait you got from them, is always trying to give somebody a second or a third chance when necessary? You only get away with that if you're a hard worker, because sometimes you've got to carry the weight of that person who's not hitting on all cylinders for a while until they hit their stride. You're hoping that the person that gets that second chance makes the most of it, or that if you give them a boost, give them a hand. And my dad and mom both believed in that. They had five kids. I'm the oldest, and they were very encouraging. But not that, hey, you can do anything. It's that, hey, you can do what God intended for you to do, how you're wired, the gifts that you have. If you lean into those instead of trying to be something that you're not, that somebody else tells you. So when we hired people in the company, I tried to plug them into situations where they would be successful because everybody's got some kind of intelligence and interest. And if you line them up with that, they're going to do great work. I, I really believe that. My dad was giving people a second chance, but it wasn't a second chance at doing it the same thing the same way. These were inner city kids that couldn't read. He wasn't going to say, hey, go read. No, he'd read with them. He'd read to them, and he would help with the phonetics and stuff like that. Very hands-on, but doing it a different way. You just can't say, hey, just try harder. That's not a second chance. He also hired people out of jail. That's true. And they're some of the most enterprising people you would ever meet. As soon as they realize hard work and honesty 
really do pay, then sometimes they get it and can become really stars because they all have ingenuity. <laughs> they, they realize that you can legally beat the system. It's the same thing in our industry. You, you don't want to beat the system illegally, but you want to look for a shortcut or some way to get ahead, but it should be legal. Everything should always be legal. But I was impressed. One of the first people he helped it out for 40 years now. And obviously, I don't think he ever went back. Yeah, he was you a know, bank he, robber. He, he didn't mention what? that. He was a bank robber. Yeah. So you're going to give a second chance to a guy that's a bank robber. But it really paid off. He has his own business now. That's the best way. So he doesn't need to rob the bank because he is the bank. Owns the bank, yes. He doesn't own the bank, but he's done really well by working hard. There were a bunch of people there that were second chance successes, of which we probably all are in some sense. Definitely. I agree with you. And I wasn't trying to be morbid, but I learned a lot from going to that. I learned a lot from having a dad that was a great dad. I really enjoyed the father and son episodes I've done the last few Father's Days. But life goes on. I'm a product of my dad. He bought me my first card. I got his card. So there's a lot of him in me, and I want to honor his memory. Speaking of life goes on, just some good news on that both Ray Schulte and Megan Brogy are going to be continuing on their roles with the National. The management may change, but some of the key people underneath that level are staying. I thought that was a great move, and that was something I'm sure when you sold Beckett Media in 2005, was it Beckett.com or was it Beckett Publications? Old Beckett Publications. Sold them, I know you did your best to arrange that as many people stayed as possible. And that's gratifying, but those are two really strategic people. That's great. John and Dan are going out on such a high note, the team. But Joe and his guys, they're going to take them there. They've made wise choices to keep some of that team intact and move onward and upward, but it's a high bar to raise. In the podcast, I'm really trying to do evergreen, timeless episodes. But some of the things you're bringing up, like the the National, I guess you could talk about the National in December, but it's July and August when it's top of mind. So I suppose we'll be talking about that. I've already had a National recap episode, but I'll have more. I'll have those guys on because that's important hobby. And even the Fanatics events that are going to be coming up, that's going to be newsworthy. What made this national so great? And what's going to make the next national even better, which will be hard to do? It had everything, literally. If you could not find it, whether it was corporate, whether it was vintage cards, whether it was ultra modern cards, whether it was finishing your 69 top set in football or baseball or basketball, did you want autographs? You can get those too. 150 some odd players signing. It truly had everything, including enough room to keep everybody. The expansion of room. And when I did Hobby Hotline on the main stage, one of the things I said when the issue about the fanaticals came up is I'm in favor of it. If they can bring more people, the stated goal about 10x for the hobby, but if this is a way to help us get to 10x, what's wrong with that? Rich, we've been doing a bunch of different episodes, and one of the episodes that I do with you is we've been calling it ramblings, which is your word. But what I don't do with you, I call it listener questions, or sometimes I'll do John Keating questions or Torsten Bauer questions. What do you think about that? Because I'm not really giving a lot of detail in my show notes. Is that something that really matters? I think people just like hearing you ramble or us ramble, or does it need to have more specificity? Because in the podcast world, I think people try to make a decision. Do I want to listen to this or not? I go instinctively. Unless there are certain things I want to talk about certain people, I don't like having notes. 
I go from memory. You are much better about this than I am. If we're going to talk about Jimmy Wynn when he passed, you'll write down all the cards. I'll just go from memory and talk about how he had a major homer opening day in 1977 at Yankee Stadium. That was basically his last hurrah as a player. But because he was with the 77 Yankees, they made him card 22 in the set. And then there's a guy named Lou Pinello, who George Steinbrenner loved and had to become card 23 in one of the great hobby stories of the 70s. We should probably talk about that on a different episode. But that's the type of stories I like to tell. When I did the errors and variation column in the early 90s, we were having so many cards and so many errors, it was literally just rope writing. People loved the second iteration of errors and variations where I go through things, I put the items in the database, they told me, and then, oh, this is a good story. Let me do the backstory on this, and let me make this the feature of the month. Yeah, but, and people remember that story 20 years later. Yeah, but you have journalism background, as I do. It was more about the content we developed and less about the headlines. What I'm saying is when I'm doing listener questions, I'm not putting all that in the title. When we're doing ramblings or you're doing your stories, it's not a title tease other than Rich is going to ramble or we're going to have a what if. I think think that's sufficient. Listener, I love when I hear listener questions because it's what the Forrest Gump story. It's like the box of chocolates. You never know until you eat it what's going to be inside the box of chocolates. But do you think the younger generation likes that? I'm not sure. It doesn't matter because let them learn to be a little bit surprised. Okay, you heard that, people. Let them learn to be a little bit surprised. So tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to be surprised because we're going to talk about whatever we want to talk about, as long as it has some sports card insights. Thanks, Rich, for another year and a thousand episodes. I'm going to keep going. I don't know how long I'll keep going, but I'm trying to have good health, and I'm trying to be giving the tributes and not being the subject of a tribute anytime real soon. I'm going to do my best. The man